Welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish. Follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish. Gentlemen, we are moving into the nitty gritty, the top 20 here, uh, starting out with number 20, Arizona State. Nick, two and two. Last year, they did opt out of bowl consideration at two and two, which is weird to say after playing only four games. They had a bunch of cancellations. Uh, as far as the recruiting class goes, 52nd ranked recruiting class this year, eighth in the Pac 12, 13 transfers out, seven transfers in, including a couple of former four stars OU wide receiver Jalen Conyers, uh, UNC offensive lineman Christian Miller, and LSU defensive lineman Travez Moore. Uh, they do have some returning talent here all pack 12 last year fullback chase hatch center donovan west defensive end tyler johnson cornerback chase lucas and for you special teams guys like nick punter michael turk and dj taylor uh frank darby is off to the nfl and antonio pierce did take over as the sole defensive coordinator in the offseason instead of co-defensive coordinator so nick what do we think about the sun devils heading into 2021 here so Arizona State, we're, we're getting, like you said, toward the, the end here. And so, uh, you know, fortunately, I'm not going to be able to say or have to say this, but maybe one other time today, Arizona State is one of the teams that it's very difficult to, to know what we can uh, apply, you know, what we learned in 2022, uh, 2021, because as you mentioned, they only played the four games. They had, you know, starts and stops here and there. And there were certainly some very high points. I mean, the, the just absolute embarrassment, you know, what they did to Arizona. Uh, they put up some incredible numbers in, in certain spots along the way. Rashad White, you know, a junior college transfer running back. Arizona State had a couple of uh, really highly ranked uh, true freshmen coming in. A lot of people were really excited about it. Rashad White comes in and averages 10 yards a carry, ends up, uh, being, you know, the leading rusher and, and you know, up there in, in receiving as well. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a very small sample, but there were some good things to pull out, some numbers that we, you know, like to, to look at yards per play. They ranked in the top 10 in the country in yards per play offensively, uh, weighted, you know, only against FBS opponents and, and taking garbage time out. Uh, according to Brian Fromo's uh, calculations, they also ranked in the top 10 in net yards per play. They ranked uh, in the top 10 in net points per drive, the top 10 in net yards per pass attempt. Defensively, they had some metrics that, that uh, you know, not perfect, but uh, they were good against the pass, 15th in the country defensively in yards per pass attempt allowed. So there were bits and pieces there that you could get really excited about. And, and then the, the amount of players coming back, you know, the, the returning production numbers really high in the top 20 in the country, uh, both overall and offensively and 21st in defensive returning production, according to Bill Connolly's numbers. A lot of players didn't get enough in 2020, only four games didn't really feel like a normal season. Want to come back, contend for a PAC 12 championship. And I think that, the, the makeup of the team, you know, they could get there. You mentioned Darby's gone, but he missed a, a game or two last year as well. They've got a ton of four-star 
you know, redshirt freshmen, we're calling them, guys like LB, uh, Bunkley Shelton, Elijah Badger didn't even play last year, but sounds like he had a, an excellent spring, has got a chance to be one of their top uh, receivers. You know, four quote-unquote starters on the offensive line, guys who came back, uh, you know, uh, played more than 50% of the snaps is, is kind of what we're going to be looking at moving forward as far as that goes. And then, you know, guys that that really rush the passer well, some excellent experience in the secondary. This is a team that's going to be in the top 15 of our preseason rankings in 2021. They're bringing Jaden Daniels back at quarterback. That's a big piece of it. And they're, you know, going to be favored in – nine games with the, the the three that it looks like they're an early underdog in our numbers uh, within a field goal. So they're absolutely, I think, going to be in the mix if the numbers that we're applying from the 2020 season, if we really can carry those over into 2021 because they're such a small sample size. Is Rashad White, you know, really that explosive of a running back? Are those receivers really going to be able to live up to their talent potential? Is Jaden Daniels, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12 or the nation? You know, those are those are questions that I don't feel like I have 100% certainty of, but I think I saw bits and pieces uh, of enough of those to think that, that Arizona State is absolutely going to be a threat in the Pac-12 South and, and then, you know, potentially a, a conference title contender. Javier, what do you think about Arizona State this year? Are, are you high on them too? Or, uh, you know, this is a team that kind of seems to dip in and out of national contention every once in a while. What do you think about ASU this year? Yeah, they kind of burned me last year. I was really, really high on them coming into Jane Daniel's second year. And I, I'm not so sure I, I'm as high on them going into this year. I think this is obviously, you know, whenever I hear Nick say, if – more than two times I start getting concerned because that means that there's got to be too many things that come together that we don't know if they'll come together. That, uh, that concerns me a little bit. I think last year, obviously, and my biggest concern with Arizona state on top of that is really if they're able or prepared, excuse me, to take that next step. You know, we, we, we've seen them knock off Oregon as an underdog. We've seen them knock off, uh, you know, we've seen them play very well last year against USC and almost knocked them off as well. Are, but are they ready to be the hunted? And I'm not so sure that they are. I think this is a team that wins about eight games, um, you know, maybe maybe contends for the for the Pac-12 South, uh, you know, if they're able to knock off a few teams and gain some momentum. Uh, their schedule, I think, bodes very well from them. They don't see any of the heavy hitters until the second half of the year, uh, which I think is uh, bodes well for them. And a lot of home, uh, excuse me, a lot of home games in that first half of the season. And they do get USC at home, which I think is massive for them as well. Uh, I, I just think that when I look at this team, I just see a team that has yet to prove to me that they can win the big game when they're not an underdog yet. And for me, uh, that concerns me a little bit. Maybe like Nick hit on with the amount of, you know, senior leadership that's on this team, they're able to take that step and, and not make some of your younger mistakes, like playing down, uh, like having, you know, slow halves or, or slow quarters. Uh, but until I see it, I'm not ready to, to claim it. So I think this is an eight and four ball club at most. All right. The next squad up here is Oklahoma state eight and three last year. Uh, they beat Miami 37, 34 in the cheese at bowl. Mm -hmm. Uh, 30, 30th ranked recruiting class, uh, third in the Big 12, eight transfers in, four transfers out. They do return some talent in linebacker Malcolm Rodriguez and safety Colby uh, Harville Post. They were all Big 12 last year, but they lose a ton of talent 
to the NFL here, Nick. Offensive tackle Tevin Jenkins going to go in the first round. Tylen Wallace, a wide receiver, running back Chuba Hubbard, linebacker uh, Amen Ogbog Bamiga, uh, cornerback Rod Williams are all going to the NFL, so you lose a bunch of talent too. So how do you see it playing out for Oklahoma State in 2021? So uh, this this batch of teams, and Oklahoma State is a, a great example of it, these are the teams that are our biggest question marks, I think, going into 2021. And, and we're, you know, looking at it from the the sort of the, the back end, how did they finish in 2020? Well, Oklahoma State ranked 19th in overall team performance. They ranked 15th in, in defensive team performance, which is a bit of a surprise. I think all of us expected the offense to be far and away the better unit coming into last year, but they only ranked 48th in our offensive team performance numbers, but top uh, 15 nationally in, in defense. They also ranked in the top 15 in, in our special teams numbers as well. Uh, but they were a good team, a solid team. You mentioned beat Miami, who our numbers, you know, liked all of last season uh, in the bowl game. They they didn't, uh, you know, unfortunately, as we talked about uh, before, Derek King got injured in that game. And so maybe it would have been a little bit different if, if he had been able to play the entire uh, contest, but still a, a solid win. We saw a glimpse of, you know, some of the uh, playmakers that are going to uh, step into those roles that, you know, Chuba Hubbard held and, and Tylen Wallace held guys like, you know, Desmond Jackson was a, a kind of a revelation as a, uh, you know, down the stretch running back. They were able to plug him in and, and he had some huge games. LD Brown, every Oklahoma State game I watched last year, the commentators mentioned like, oh, well, you know, LD Brown might actually be faster than Chuba Hubbard. He's coming back as a, a super senior. They added a, a grad transfer from, uh, Utah State as well. So I think they're going to be fine replacing him. And then, you know, at the receiver position, uh, Braden Johnson has has really flashed at times. Brennan Presley had a huge uh, game in the bowl game. Uh, Tay Martin, somebody we've talked about in years past, who was pretty productive at Washington State, transferred kind of late last spring and didn't really get into the mix a ton, but comes back as one of the more experienced receivers in that group. So I, I think they're going to be fine there. I know that, you know, Tevin Jenkins is a big, big loss, very talented player. Uh, but, you know, the offensive line as a whole was, was good, but not great. They ranked 61st in our offensive line performance rankings. So, you know, they were a, able to add a, a, who I think will be a pretty good uh, transfer from a group of five school, Miami of Ohio, uh, Danny uh, Godlewski is you know very experienced uh started 39 games uh for miami of ohio so it, it seems like they're going to be able to to you know fill some holes there and then you know defensively i really like a lot of what is coming back the the secondary according to our early numbers is the best in the big 12 ranked sixth in the country uh in our back seven rankings top 10 in the country in the secondary alone, you know, the linebacker units pretty good, even though they're, you know, mentioning, or you mentioned Calvin Bundage and, and Amin uh, Bamida, and, and my apologies for that, uh, butchering that. But, uh, you know, even though both of those guys are gone, both of those guys were 100 rated players, according to our individual player ratings, uh, when they left, that linebacker unit still looks like a top 15 unit in the country. So I, I, Oklahoma State is is going to be fine personnel wise. I think they rank in the top 
25 of our roster strength numbers going into to 2021. They've been consistent. Their three-year weighted team performance uh, ranking is, is 22nd in the country. They've averaged 15th in the country over the last five years. So I, I think that they're going to be the same old Oklahoma State where maybe they don't have you know, the, the top-end uh, depth or talent to – win the whole thing, you know, win the, the Big 12. Big 12 is going to be really tough next year specifically. But they are the kind of team that can ruin just about anybody's day. Like, I don't think we, we you know, I don't think we will be shocked if Oklahoma State, you know, uh, has a, a, a big upset that knocks out Iowa State or Oklahoma or, or Texas from reaching that national championship game or, 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 or you know, playoff, I mean, or, or Big 12 uh, title game. So our numbers are, are really pretty high on Oklahoma State. Earlier today, uh, a friend of ours, uh, Nate Manzo, put together, you know, compared our, our early preseason numbers to FPI and, and SP Plus and Beta Rank, some other really, really smart systems out there. And FPI's just as high as, as we are on Oklahoma State. I thought we were going to be the highest because they're knocking on the door of our preseason top 10. And, and that really kind of shocked me when I saw that, you know, when I uh, made the the final, you know, punched in the final numbers, ordered everything. They're 11th right now in our 2021 preseason power rankings. That seems high to me. But like I said, there's not a whole lot of big question marks. And I haven't even mentioned Spencer Sanders, who though he hasn't, you know, uh, put up huge, huge numbers yet. He's a guy who's played a lot of football going into his third year as a starter. I think he just kind of has to maybe take that, that next step or, or maybe they'll at least be able to lean on him a little bit more to break in some of those other, you know, new playmakers, young guys on, on the, uh, you know, in the skill positions. So I, I think they're going to be okay. I think they're going to be a threat, probably not a playoff contender, but, I wouldn't be shocked if, if they find their way into the Big 12 championship game. And I wouldn't be shocked if, if they really ruin, you know, somebody's season with a with an untimely upset either. What do you think about Oklahoma State here, Xavier? I mean, like Nick said, there's a, a, they did lose a lot of talent, but there's still a lot to like. So uh, where are you standing on them going into 2021? Nick got to my biggest what if at the end of what he was saying. Um, Nick's absolutely right. There's so much returning – Talent on defense, I think they'll be able to lean on their defense this year, uh, which will be a plus for them as the skill positions do get acclimated with the offense. Um, obviously, when you have such revolutionary players like Chuba Hubbard and Tyler Wallace come in, it's very difficult sometimes for your for those same positions for a number one receiver to come out, for a number one uh, running back to, to, to take the fold um, once that guy leaves. Uh, so that's, you know, that, that's rather difficult. However, I'm – more the biggest thing for me is whether or not Spencer Sanders can take that next step. He has yet to really do it. Last year he was really up and down for about five weeks before he kind of found his footing. Uh, you know, we saw him play a bit, you know, we saw him get hurt in the Tulsa game at the beginning of the year. Uh, then he played, you know, rather low against uh, Iowa State, which I thought was a struggle for him. Uh, you know, Texas, he was better. Um, you know, but he had a lot of ups and downs. He had some games where he was one touchdown, one pick, one touchdown, one pick, no touchdowns, one pick. And it was, it was really concerning for me that a guy that we expected to take that next leap after what was a pretty, you know, pretty darn good freshman year 
really look almost identical to what he did in year one. Um, I'm hoping that in year three, he can take that next step. And if he can, I absolutely agree with Nick. I think Oklahoma State could have some timely upsets or untimely for the teams in which they're playing and could possibly get into the Big 12 championship game. But I don't know if Spencer Sanders is ready to take that next step yet. Um, and until I am able to see it, I'm not ready to say Oklahoma State will take that next step either. Um, when I look at their schedule, I feel sorry for them. You know, they play Texas and Iowa State in back-to-back weeks. That could, you know, that could derail the entire season right there or at least derail their Big 12 title hopes. Um, and to obviously, you know, you play, you know, you have Bedlam at the end of the year. They do get that game at home, which I think is a plus. Uh, I just don't see – I just am waiting for Spencer Sanders to take that next step. And I know it may not be as big of an if for some people, uh, but we've heard conversations like this before where we're like, well, I mean, he's had a pretty good first two seasons of his career. He's going to easily take that big next step in his junior year. That's not always the case. And I think if he's not able to, this is another eight-win team uh, that's going to lose some games that they're not supposed to, kind of like the, what they did last year. Uh, so Spencer Sanders is my biggest if. He can, if he can get it together, this is a team that can absolutely challenge for the Big 12, at least uh, getting into the title game. But if not, this is a team that I would not be surprised if they somehow blew a game at, you know, against TCU or at Texas Tech towards the end of the year because of his inconsistencies at the quarterback position. The next squad up here, Nick, is Penn State, 4-5 and five last year. Opted out of a bowl game, which is weird to say with a losing record, but uh, they did opt out of uh, participating in a bowl game. They've already brought in the 22nd-ranked recruiting class, 6th in the Big Ten, though, so kind of low for Penn State. 13 transfers out, 4 transfers in. They don't return any all Big Ten players, and they lose a ton to the NFL. Linebacker Micah Parsons, uh, Jason Owe, the edge rusher, tight end Pat Fermuth. Uh, Shaka Tony, another edge rusher, safety Lamont Wade, and off- offensive tackle Will Freeze to the NFL. They bring in uh, Mike Yersich from Texas as the new OC and Anthony Poindexter from Purdue as the new co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach. Ty Howell uh, moves up from an analyst to the tight ends coach this season. What do you think about Penn State going into 2021? It looks like they lost a ton of talent, but they were rough last year anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Penn State starting out coming out of the gate was one of the most disappointing teams in college football. And, and, you know, in our preview season last year, I remember specifically talking about how I thought Penn state was the biggest uh, hurdle for Ohio state. If there was going to be another team that could win the big 10, it it was going to be Penn state. I remember thinking, you know, maybe the big 10 gets two teams in uh, you know, a one loss uh, Penn state or, or, you know, what have you. And then they come out and and really kind of unlucky in, in week one against Indiana, but lose that game. And then it just kind of, uh, you know, one loss builds to two, builds to three. And it, it took a little while for them to turn the tables. And, and then when they finally did, they kind of ended on a, on a pretty, you know, strong had a, had a strong finish, won four in a row, not the toughest competition, of course. Uh, after they beat Michigan on the road, it was Rutgers, Michigan State, and Illinois, you know, three of the, the lower-rated teams in the Big Ten. But still, you know, won games that they were supposed to win, something they didn't do against Maryland, arguably Nebraska, even though that was on the road, uh, Indiana at the, at the start. So, you know, I think in in – I have kind of differing – things pulling at me when it comes to Penn State. One, I still think they are very, very talented. One of the 
new things that we've added in our 2021 FBS team profiles is we actually have on each team's page the rankings of each unit broken down by by the different categories. We've had our, our position strength or our unit strength uh, the last couple of years, but now we actually, you know, you can look at Penn State and see, oh, wow, still, even though they lost a couple of, you know, big-time running backs uh, over the last couple of years, they rank six in the country in their average 247 rating at the running back position. They rank, uh, you know, in, in the top six in – uh, you know, offensive line as far as their average uh, player rating at, at that position. So, you know, there there are different bits and pieces of units here and there that are among the elite as far as just raw talent goes. Uh, they rank in the top 20 at every single defensive spot in your average 247 rating, in your average rivals rating. They rank in the top 12 nationally in the average overall uh, player rating at you know, the linebacker uh, position in the secondary and in both the front seven and back seven. So they're, they're talented throughout, but they underperformed expectations last year. They still haven't got great quarterback play, you know, somewhat similarly to the team. And I, I feel like I say this every time, somewhat similarly to, you know, Oklahoma state and, and a, a team or two that we'll talk about later They they all kind of get bunched together here where a quarterback who's got a lot of experience uh, but hasn't quite, you know, taken that next step. Can Sean Clifford do that? I'm not sure. He'd been challenged for that job, lost it a little bit uh, last year, but ends up, you know, now he's a, a pretty heavy favorite to hold on to it unless they're able to to bring in a, a transfer or something. But it doesn't really look, you know, like that's going to be the case. I like the Mike Yersich higher. I thought, you know, uh, not only at, at Texas, but prior to that had some really – explosive, productive offenses. I think, you know, him calling the plays is probably a really good thing for somebody like Jahan Dotson, who, uh, you know, did have a big 2020 season. Uh, Parker Washington, who was a true freshman, you know, really flashed at times last year. They've got playmakers. They've got a running back group. I have no idea who's going to be you know, taking the the heaviest workload at the running back position, but they are five deep with guys who could be the the you know quote unquote starter if they've got a healthy Devin Ford, a healthy Noah Kane, got a new trans you know transfer in John Lovett who is a starter at Baylor. Plus, you know, Kevon Lee right now he's fourth on our running back depth chart. He was the leading rusher, returning leading rusher, a guy who you know averaged almost five yards a carry, almost five hundred yards, and then you know Kaziah Holmes is is in that mix as well. Uh, they they have talent. They have talent both on offense and on defense, even with, you know, losing three or four guys who are going to get drafted, if not more. It, it's it's difficult for me because I, I want to say, yeah, this Penn State team, even though they were so disappointing last year, because they kind of, you know, finished on a high note and because the talent numbers are what they are, they look like a top 25 team. I mean, they're they're 22nd in our preseason power rankings. They're actually fourth in the Big Ten. That's not, you know, uh, from the from the uh, conference standings, that's not far uh, below where they were last year. I think they were third in our preseason uh, Big Ten power rankings last year. You know, they could beat just about anybody on the schedule, but they do draw Wisconsin in the crossover. They do draw Iowa. Uh, of course, they have to play Ohio State every year. 
And so there are games that are certainly losable as well. They play Auburn in the non-conference. I don't think I can trust Penn State fully because of, you know, what last season, how they disappointed, how they came out so flat at certain times in that, you know, early losing streak. It looked like maybe they were on the verge of quitting. I think it's a good sign that they did not quit, that they were able to win those uh, four games that, that they probably should have won at, at the end. So maybe that's something they can carry over and, and reach those type of expectations uh, that we have, you know, ahead of, of uh, next season. But they're going to need to take a big step. They only ranked uh, 57th in offensive team performance last year, 32nd defensively, 47th overall. That's a big, you know, step back from where they were the previous two seasons, actually coming into last year. They averaged uh, number seven in the country in both our five-year and our three-year weighted team performance. Those numbers have, have fallen significantly where now it's, uh, they've averaged, you know, a weighted average of 20th over the last three years and 12th over the last five years. So things are not necessarily moving in the right direction, but I think they've got the talent where it could turn around quickly. And, and this could be a team somewhat similar to Oklahoma State. Maybe they don't have that high-end talent. Maybe they're not quite ready to compete with the more talented deeper teams at the top of the, the conference standings, but they might ruin somebody's day. It, it, you know, Ohio State being the big one, they've got some questions. They've got more turnover personnel-wise than maybe anybody else in the conference. Even though it's late in the year, they don't play until October 30th, and that game is in Columbus. It's not unheard of, I don't think, that that Penn State could go in there and, and win that game. If, if Ohio State doesn't you know, find the right quarterback, if, if maybe some of their uh, holes left on, on defense from guys going off to the NFL, maybe they don't have a perfect fit there, maybe some injuries hit at, at some key spots. It's, it's certainly possible that Ohio State, uh, you know, could lose that game to Penn State. But is Penn State going to be, you know, good enough to beat Ohio State and Wisconsin and Iowa and Michigan and not, you know, slip up somewhere along the way, lose to Indiana again, you know, as an example, I, I, I just don't know. So I think this is a top 25 team. I think this is a team that, you know, should win eight or more games, but because of what we saw last year, it's difficult to trust to, to, you know, really expect them to kind of live up to that, uh, you know, expectation or, or even surpass it, get back to double digit wins and, and be a big 10 title contender. Again, I just, I, I, I will have to sort of uh, wait to see it before I believe it. Xavier, is, is that where you're at with uh, Penn State? Because, I mean, you know, I know COVID made everything weird, but talk about Penn State coming off of a losing record and, you know, maybe the, you know, middle mid-tier recruiting class for the Big Ten, and maybe they'll compete with some of these teams and play spoiler. It's just a weird thing to say about a school that's usually as good as Penn State. Absolutely. And the, the most concerning thing I think about Penn State is if they were playing a more of a cupcake schedule, I would be more inclined to say maybe they could build some momentum. But their first game of the season is at Wisconsin. Ball State's not going to be any slouch. Auburn's not going to be a slouch whatsoever. Then they get the easiest game of the year, probably uh, easiest game of the year in Villanova. But this is a team that could be one and two walking into that matchup. You know, and, and for me, one of the biggest reasons why Penn State was so you know had such a bad record was its slow start. And my biggest concern, you know, outside of whether or not Sean Clifford can uh, give us back the sophomore season that he had and not the junior year, is that offensive line was abysmal last year. Sean Clifford got sacked twenty-two times last year. 
Out of those 22 times, 15 of them were in the first five weeks. That's awful. And when you have an offensive line that takes that kind of time to gel, you know, once again, with with certain turnover on the offensive line in this offseason, is it going to be another year where they have to gel with that offensive line where Sean Clifford's running for his life? I mean, heck, he got sacked seven times by Maryland after being sacked five times a week prior by Ohio State. And so that that is, you know, that also hurts your quarterback play because now he's not he doesn't feel comfortable behind the pocket. That's why, you know, it took him, you know, three weeks to have a game, you know, to have a, a solid performance in, in last year. So I'm really uh, concerned for the offensive line in that regard is can can we get some more consistency out of them next year that we're not seeing such a high sack rate so, so early on in the season? And they're going to be tested from day one. So that's a, a high concern for me. And Nick's absolutely right. They will probably play spoiler spoiler this year with somebody. I'm just not confident of who that'll be with such a difficult schedule. Um, you know, what is Indiana as good as they were last year? We don't know yet. Uh, we suggest they'll be right around it, but not necessarily maybe as dominant as they were last season. You know, playing at Iowa is going to be tough. You know, you get a bye week and then you get to have, get to see Ohio State and go back to Maryland, the team that you lost to last year. And Maryland plays really well at home. Uh, and, and what does Talia look like next year? So. I, I'm I'm concerned that we'll see a rather you know a seven and five type year from Penn State. Um, I just don't see them bouncing back to the levels in which we've seen Penn State in the past. Maybe you know when we're talking about a nine and three, possibly even a double digit win team. I mean last year coming in, I think I'd said that they are a team that could compete for the Big Ten. That definitely didn't happen, and I, I'm looking for them to just form some consistency. Um, you know. You can't start off losing five games and then and then win four games and consider yourself a consistent ball club. Let's find some consistency, especially on that offensive line. And if they can do that, I think Sean Clifford will be able to take that next step as a passer, not just a runner. And they will be a team that can win eight or nine games. But as of right now, I'm comfortable saying that this team is going to be seven and five coming into 2021. All right, the next squad up here, Nick, is North Carolina, eight and four last season. They lost to Texas A&M, 41-27 in the Orange Bowl, 14th ranked recruiting class, uh, third in the ACC, 19 transfers out, a lot of transfers out, one mm-hmm. transfer in, uh, but it was four-star running back Ty Chandler, who is, should be immediately in line for a decent amount of playing time because they don't return any all-ACC players, and they have a lot of talent going to the NFL, including both of their running backs, Javante Williams and Michael Carter, both their starting wide receivers in Dayami Brown and Daz Newsom, and uh, – linebacker Chaz Surratt all off to the NFL. So they uh, drop a lot in talent. They have a lot leaving out through the transfer portal, Nick, but they still had the 14th ranked recruiting class, even losing all those guys. So a uh, pretty good class coming in. What do you think about North Carolina uh, in 2021? So when, when Nate released the, that sort of visualization of, of where we compare to the other three models, uh, North Carolina was the one that jumped out to me immediately. They are 12th in the, the average ranking, and it looks like just about everybody else has North Carolina as a top 10 or fringe top 10 team, and they're 28th in our 2021 preseason rankings, and, and that was also a surprise. And I'm, I, I am thinking of North Carolina and Oklahoma State very similarly this year because if I were just to sit down – you know, not have my computer open with our team profiles and, and all the numbers and everything in front of me. 
and just write out my own top 25 of, of how I thought things were going to shake out, I might actually have those two teams flipped. I might have North Carolina 11th and I might have Oklahoma State 28th. And, and I think there's, you know, probably some room in there, uh, you know, where the, maybe they fall somewhere in the middle. But it would not have shocked me if when the numbers came out, that was the case. If, if you know, North Carolina was a top 10 type team because the talent – is absolutely there. I mean, you mentioned uh, the the recruiting ranking this past year. They put two top twenty uh, classes together according to our roster uh, recruiting strength numbers the last two years. And then, you know, since two thousand fifteen, they basically had a, a top twenty five class all but one year. And, and so the talent absolutely is there. You know, looking again at, at sort of position by position, the quarterback spot, you know, Sam Howell, one of the best in the country, but that that unit as a whole is pretty deep. They rank in the top five in average 247 rating and average rivals rating. Uh, they're going to be tied, you know, for first as far as, you know, starting quarterback goes. He's a 100 max rated player. Uh, and it's our top two, you know, or our number two quarterback unit in the country. So they're going to be just fine right there. They lost a ton of production at the running back position, but we weight running back less than we do quarterback or receiver or offensive line for that matter. But even then, you know, Ty Chandler is is not only a former four star; he was a, a, a starter or co starter with Eric Gray, who we also think is really really good. Ty Chandler has been a super productive running back, especially sharing as many carries as he has the last couple of years. So I think he's going to come in and, and you know be able to carry a, a much heavier workload than he's had to the last couple of years. I think they're going to be fine there. You know, uh, they're losing, of course, Deami Brown and, and Daz Newsom, And then Williams and Carter were both good receivers as well. Those those four were the you know, four of the top five uh, receivers last year. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little concerned about that, but They've recruited really well. Coffrey Brown is somebody I'm pretty excited about. Uh, Josh Downs, you know, really flashed in the the bowl game. He's somebody that's getting some buzz as a future, you know, number one receiver maybe there. Bo Corrales has been a, you know, starter in the past, but was injured last year. And, and so, you know, was a little off the radar for us for the most part. Emory Simmons is somebody I think, you know, could step up and, and play a bigger role. So I, I think – that they're going to be okay. I think they're going to be able to, to find enough guys around uh, Sam Howell where they're going to continue to be an explosive offense. The offensive line, at the very least, is experienced. Uh, all five starters are back. All five uh, guys played more than 650 snaps last year, plus a couple of other backups who were on the field for over 250 snaps. So it's, it's an experienced group, even though they didn't necessarily – uh, grayed out super well in our, our offensive line performance numbers. They were 70th in the country, but they're they're coming back and and you know the unit was able to clear uh, enough space for Carter and, and Williams and and you know give Howell time. So I, I think it's a better unit than than what that you know final number might indicate as well. So I think they're going to be just fine on offense. And, and this was a top 10 offense last year. They ranked eighth in our offensive team performance. They ranked fourth in, in yards per play, sixth in points per drive, fourth in uh, expected points added per play, sixth in yards per pass attempt. So this was an elite, elite offense, but defensively there were questions. And, and you mentioned Chaz Surratt, uh being gone 
according to you know what I can tell so far, he's the only one gone. So that's you know ten starters back, uh, and so hopefully there will be some some positive uh, steps because of that. Because defensively things were you know not Ole Miss level bad, <laughs> kind of pairing a, a great offense with a bad defense, but they weren't a ton better. They ranked 89th in yards per play allowed, 81st in points per drive allowed, 73rd in EPA per play, uh, uh, you know, defensively. So this was a unit that that really kind of struggled, and uh, they ranked 93rd in our defensive coordinator rating. So I do have some concerns defensively, and then I, I can't help but think, man, that's so much production lost offensively. Yeah, I think Howard's going to be great. Yeah, I think you know, the, the play calling will be fine. They're a seventh in offensive coordinator rating. So, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, one of the best offensive play calling situations in the country, but they bring back 15.1% of their rushing yardage from last year. They bring back 32.9% of their receiving yardage. Those, those are going to rank among the lows in the country. So, you know, I, I think that there might be a little bit of a, a getting acclimated period where, where Sam Howe is going to, you know, have to be uh, relying on guys he wasn't relying on last year. And so maybe they get all that worked out in, in you know, summer or, or fall camp or, or what have you, but it wouldn't at all surprise me if they come out of maybe a, a little slower than we would expect in week one against Virginia tech. Uh, you know, they, they play a few conference opponents pretty early on Virginia can give teams some trouble. Uh, Georgia Tech, we think, will be improved. You know, Florida State, I think, will be improved. So, part of me comes in thinking, okay, North Carolina, we're we're too low on them. You know, they they finished uh, what what is it, 17th in our rankings last year, and that was with some of these guys opting out. So their uh, roster strength numbers were, were down a little bit. They were probably a top 10 team. Probably should have been if they were playing full strength in the bowl game. So I, I think 28th seems really low, and it might be. We might be, you know, looking back at this list uh, of how we compare to the, the other systems and think, man, we, we really were wrong on North Carolina. That would shock me. But also, you know, maybe, maybe the way we do things, a little bit different player by player, maybe we're picking up on something that the others aren't. And, and so I'm in some ways hopeful of that, that, you know, that that maybe maybe we've got a little bit better read on North Carolina. I'm not sure. Wouldn't shock me at all if they make a run at the ACC title. But I think this, at least the way our numbers are pointing, might be a team that's going to enter you know the AP uh, preseason top ten or whatever a little overrated, and and maybe they're not quite as good as we expect them to be based on how explosive they were offensively last year. They're going to be a big wait and see team because I, I know our numbers aren't exactly going to line up to where a lot of people's you know personal opinions line up and, and even some of these uh, really, really smart analytical systems that are out there as well. We're, we're lower on them, at least at this point in the offseason, than, than just about anybody I've seen so far. So we'll see. Xavier, what do you think? UNC uh, overrated, like Nick said. I really like the comparison to Ole Miss from last year, too, because uh, uh -huh. it, it really feels like they could be walking into something like that this year. Yeah, and another comparison I'd like to give to the offensive side of the football that I think will be very reminiscent from a Sam Howell perspective is if people remember uh, Jake Fromm's last year at Georgia. 
where he lost pretty much every bit of offensive talent he had. And that offense that year, even with a good college quarterback, still took time to get its footing because of the amount of skill positions that had overturned. I mean, you lose your two top receivers and your two top running backs. You just don't replace that overnight. And there's going to be some type of continuity that has to happen on that offensive side of the ball. That can only happen in game. You know, a quarterback throwing a back shoulder fade in practice is not the same as you throwing it in game. And that kind of, you know, uh, that kind of continuity has to happen with snaps, with reps in game. Uh, Nick hit it right on the head. That offensive line is a concern for me. I think that offensive line has to make a step forward Um, as well as as good as they were running the football last year. It was a little bit surprising to see them not be nearly as good in protecting the quarterback sometimes. Um, I felt like Sam Howell was running for his life in, in, in some of these ball games, especially in, uh, in uh, I can't remember, uh, the Florida State game last year in which they lost. I felt like he just didn't have the enough, enough time to be the talented quarterback in which we all know he could be. Um, so, you know, you know, this is a team that, you know, gave up six sacks to Notre Dame, five sacks to UVA, uh, four sacks in that in that Florida State game. Uh, he was sacked 33 times last year as a whole. So this offensive line has to take another step. Uh, even with how good Sam Howell is, he's going to need more time this year because he doesn't have that same trust in, you know, like a De'Ami Brown or a Daz Newsom, where he knew he could throw the ball in a certain area and those guys could go get it. He's going he's gonna to have to get there uh, with uh, some of the guys in the receiving core this year. Uh, defensively, Nick, you're right. They got to get better. Uh, they, they can't give up 41 points, excuse me, uh, 44 points to Virginia and expect to be a team that competes for the ACC championship game. They uh, they can't give up, you know, 53 points to Wake Forest, even though they won that ball game and expect to be, you know, a, a contender in the ACC. Uh, but if they could put that to, if, if their, their defense could be just incrementally better, it doesn't have to be a massive leap with the offensive talent that they do still have and with Sam Howell being arguably the best quarterback in the country, they just need to be incrementally better to where every time the opposing offense touches the ball, you don't think they're going to score. For me, I think all that being said, I think this North Carolina team is a nine to 10 win ball club. Uh, I think they are going to have one, maybe two head scratching losses like they did last year uh, when they lost to Virginia and Florida state. I think you're going to have one or two of those this year. I'm hoping I'm hoping one of them is the Georgia State. That's just me being biased. Uh, but I, I do think that they have that in them this year. I'm not prepared to say that they're uh, a bona fide contender in that conference as of right now. But that all can change uh, so quickly, as we know, in college football. But as of right now, I think they're a nine, maybe 10 win ball club. All right, the next squad up here is uh, Iowa. Six and two last year. They had to. They were in the Music City Bowl, but that game got canceled due to COVID issues for Missouri. Twenty uh, fourth ranked recruiting class uh, they brought in from twenty twenty one. Seventh in the Big Ten. Seven transfers out. One transfer in. They do return some talent in running back Tyler Goodson and center Tyler Lindbaum. Uh, they were all Big Ten last year, but they do lose a ton to the NFL draft. Uh, Davian Nixon, the interior defensive lineman, wide receiver Emir Marset Smith, linebacker Nick Neiman, wide receiver Brandon Smith, tight end Sean Byer, offensive tackle Larry Jackson, and edge rusher Chauncey Golston are all NFL prospects that uh, could go in the draft here. And a lot of them will go. But Nick, that's a lot of talent to lose going into 2021. So uh, I think we could have another concerning Big Ten team here in Iowa. Yeah, p- uh, potentially. And, and you know, Amir Smith-Marset is one of my favorite players. I love guys that can 
you know, do a bunch of different things with the football in their hands. He was a uh, excellent return man. They got him the ball, uh, you know, on jet sweeps, trick plays, stuff like that. But Brandon Smith is somebody that, and you guys know, I'm not a, a huge draft uh, guy, but he's somebody I've seen. You know, the the NFL scouts seem to be salivating over the the athleticism type numbers that he's putting together. So, uh, it, it, on the one hand, think, wow. I was using, you know, losing a lot from a playmaker standpoint with those two guys. But then on the other hand, you know, one, they didn't necessarily maybe use those guys to their uh, full potential, but they're still a dangerous team, still able to uh, compete in the division and, and be one of the best teams in the Big Ten you know, despite that and seem to always get pretty good offensive line play. They rank 15th in uh, the country in our offensive line performance uh, rankings last year. And that's with, you know, not necessarily great advanced numbers as far as they ranked 88th in yards per play. They ranked 75th in EPA per play, uh, you know, 34th, a little bit better in success rate, but still not, you know, among the the, the tops in the country, 56 in points per drive. So they're, not you know just this offensively the numbers are not uh spectacular by by any stretch but uh solid offensive line play and then i really like tyler goodson i think he has a chance to be the best running back in the big 10 quite possibly i mean he certainly seems to be lining up for a a heavy workload in a run heavy offense so i think he's going to have plenty of opportunities to put together some some big numbers and and if iowa continues to play defense anywhere near the level that they've played recently uh i think they're going to be dangerous i think they're going to be able to run the ball enough to um you know stay in games win enough games uh, i think spitzer petrus you know getting a full year as a starter as a sophomore you know he's somebody maybe who's going to catch the eye of nfl scouts because he's kind of a prototypical you know pro style passer Eventually, he'll be ex- experienced enough that maybe he, uh, you know, uh, goes on to, to have a lot more buzz about him as a, an NFL draft prospect than maybe as a college quarterback. But I think they're going to be fine enough on offense. Defensively, you mentioned some of the big guys that they're losing. Davian Nixon, uh, Chauncey Golson, you know, uh, multiple starters, uh, heavier, you know, lack of, or excuse me, a, a, a heavier amount of production defensively leaving than a lot of Big Ten teams. But Iowa always seems to figure it out defensively as well. They rank, uh, first of all, Phil Parker, defensive coordinator, ranks number two in our defensive coordinator rankings. They put together the number two defensive team performance rating in the country last year. They were first nationally in yards per play allowed. Again, weighted for uh, FBS opponents only and, and garbage time filtered out. They were third in points per drive using those same uh, parameters, sixth in yards per pass attempt allowed, fifth in EPA per play defensively, and, and the sort of the weakest part of it, uh, they were 14th in the country in success rate again. So we're talking an elite, elite defense that is going to, you know, need to fill in in some holes, certainly. But, you know, about half of the unit is back. The whole secondary is back. And though they don't necessarily rank super high in, in our roster strength numbers, I mean, 83rd defensively uh, in roster strength, 81st on offense, by the way. Uh, but I, I think that, uh, you know, kind of like what I said with Oklahoma State, they've been consistent enough that I, I lean toward, 
optimism. And so I think Iowa is going to be able to be, you know, play top 10 level defense. Part of that is because they're very methodical offensively, going to control the ball a lot more than, than maybe some other teams uh, want to. But two, I, I think they coach them up pretty well, develop them really well on, on defense. So Iowa is right now – uh, neck and neck as we're looking ahead to, to 2021 with Wisconsin as our Big Ten West favorite. That game will be in Madison. So uh, Iowa right now is is about a two and a half point underdog just based on uh, you know the, the home field uh, advantage number that we put in there. But you know Iowa stacks up really quite well. Uh, schedule-wise. The, the only other game right now that they're an underdog is against Iowa State. And so if they're able to, uh, you know, win that game against Wisconsin and, and take care of business and the others where we have them as, as at least a field goal uh, favorite over Penn State, four-point favorite over Nebraska, if they take care of business in a, a pretty manageable schedule, uh, don't have Ohio State on, on the schedule, don't have uh, Michigan, even though you know, uh, we don't think as highly of Michigan this year than maybe we have in, in years past. But I was the type of team that could certainly go 10 and 2, maybe if they get a break here or there, 11 and 1, maybe make it to the Big Ten championship game. And then, you know, once you get there, if you've only got one loss, you know, uh, options basically are, are limitless. So I, I don't love Iowa's talent profile, but I pretty much never do. Uh, yet the recruiting numbers are trending in the right direction. You know, basically a, a top 30 class in 2020, top 25 class in, in 2021. So hopefully they're moving in the right direction there. But their track record, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I, I trust Iowa a lot more than I do some other teams. And our numbers have been pretty good on Iowa traditionally. Each of the last three years, we've we've uh, had a decent read on Iowa, I think, compared to a lot of other, you know, metrics out there. Maybe we're, you know, maybe our luck will run out. Who knows? But right now, Iowa looks like a top 20 team and a contender in the Big Ten West. So, uh, you know, unless those, unless defensively they take a big step back uh, on the field team performance-wise, I think Iowa's going to be a team that's in the mix each and every week, uh, capable of beating anybody on the schedule. What do you think, Xavier? Do you have reservations about Iowa too, or do you think that, uh, that this is too much talent loss? What do you think about them? I don't think talent loss at Iowa, I don't want to say it doesn't matter because of their play style, but to an extent, I feel like it doesn't. I feel like every year there's a team that I can guarantee two things. One, they're going to run the football. They're going to play good defense. And two, they're going to have a winning record to, at the end of the year. Um, and, and I think that that stays the same going into this year. For me, Iowa is a team that I don't ever think will win the Big Ten, but they'll come damn close. Every year I feel that way. And, and they just are outmatched by a couple of teams in the Big Ten who maybe play a more modern brand of football. Uh, but and, and so that's how I look at them going into this year. I think they'll lose their game at Iowa State. Um, but other than that, I think this is a team that could possibly run the table. Nick had a, Nick said it absolutely right. That game at Wisconsin after the bye week is massive. They win that game. They're going to the Big Ten Championship game, uh, barring uh, a head-scratching loss maybe to the very next week at Northwestern, which is a trap game in my opinion for them. Um, you know, once you play such a high, you know, a highly touted opponent, especially when you're thinking at that point in the year, 
both Wisconsin um, and Iowa could be either one loss or both undefeated teams. That game against Northwestern at Northwestern is a trap game that could absolutely see them lose uh, inexplicably just because, you know, Northwestern will play up. Wisconsin will have think it will have, you know, maybe be looking ahead, playing down. Either way, Northwestern seems to pick up an up, upset loss like that every other every year. So that that's just where I see that being a possible trap game. Outside of that, the Iowa State game, the Wisconsin game, this is a team that could absolutely could run the table for me. Uh, like I said, this I think this is going to be a nine and three team, possibly ten and two. Uh, I don't have them favored over Wisconsin, and I don't have them favored over Iowa State. Uh, but no, I don't have as many reservations. I believe you know maybe as Nick does. I think you know when you play the style in which Iowa plays, it's kind of plug and play almost. Uh, and when you know you don't have that same kind of learning curve as you do at, at a team, you know, like in North Carolina, like we just talked about with their skill positions. I'm not concerned about the skill positions at Iowa. They're gonna get the job done, whatever that job is asked to be is asked of them. Um, you know, as long as their offensive line, which I believe in, and their de- and their running back position are solidified, and I believe in those two positions. Uh, I think they have. E- arguably the best center in college football. I know there might be some questions from other places, but arguably the best center in college football. I think when you have that and you have the, uh, you know, and you have a quarterback moving into uh, his junior year, you're talking about two very vocal leaders on that offense that could help out with, with a younger skill set on the outside and at the running back position. So I really do like Iowa uh, from an offense perspective, not much, uh, not many res- reservations for them on defense either because they play a very base defense. They're they're very structured in which they do. Not very not uh, much trickery. They don't show you many different looks. They're gonna play in their base and they're gonna say, you know what, we're gonna beat you with four up front. We may send the blitz every now and then, but we're gonna try to beat you with four and we're gonna make sure that you cannot run the ball on us. You might be able to throw it, but you're not gonna run the ball on us. Uh, and, and you know, even this year, I think they're gonna focus a little bit more on the back end with there being so many seniors. They might not be able to throw on them either. So I really do like Iowa to be a 10 and 2, 9 and 3 kind of ball club. All right. The next squad up here is the Washington Huskies. 3 and 1 last year. They opted out of bowl contention. Mm-hmm. Uh, 36 ranked recruiting class in the nation, six in the Pac 12. Nine transfers out, four transfers in, but they got some interesting ones here. Former four star. Uh, Colorado State quarterback Patrick O'Brien is coming in. Texas A&M defensive end Jeremiah Martin. OU cornerback Brendan uh, Radley-Hiles also coming in. They do lose uh, or they do return some other talent too. All Pac-12 players include tight end Kate Otten, left tackle Jackson Kirkland, uh, linebacker Ryan Bowman, linebacker uh, Edufan Ulo Foshio. I don't know how to say it. So I have, I absolutely butchered that. My apologies on that. Xavier is cracking up on mute there. I mean, that one caught me off guard. Edufan, Edufan, Ulo Foshio. So, I mean, it didn't sound any better the second time. I tried it again and it's still rough, but uh, they do lose a lot of talent to the NFL to uh, interior defensive lineman Levi on uh, gone edge Joe Tryon gone cornerbacks Elijah Molden Keith Taylor also gone and uh, another in- interior defensive lineman Josiah Bronson they do bring in uh, or do promote a new defensive coordinator Bob Gregory who was the inside linebackers coach steps up to DC this year what do you think about Washington going into 2021 Nick so two things one uh, this is the last time I, I will say 
that I don't know if we learned enough in 2020 to be able to, to carry that over to 2021 because Washington you know, only played the four games and, and ended earlier than we expected. And, and so I, I think looking ahead at, at the final 14 teams that we've yet to talk about, I think just about everybody else played at least six, seven games. So we got a good enough feel. Uh, but two, Washington might be the team I'm most interested in of, of any team in college football looking ahead to 2021. And, uh, you know, part of that is, is in a very small sample size, they put up some good numbers. Defensively, they ranked in the top 10 in yards per play allowed. They ranked 11th in yards per pass attempt. Uh, offensively, you know, points per drive, they ranked ninth in the country. Uh, they were 21st in yards per play, 26th in success rate. Uh, again, in just four games, is that, is that really what they would have been had they played a, a full schedule? They didn't play the, the toughest competition, Oregon State and Arizona, to start. That game against Oregon State was a little closer probably than it should have been. You know, Utah, they had to come back and, and beat, but that was a really young Utah team. And, and then they lost to Stanford, probably a, a game that they shouldn't have. But this Washington team obviously finished 2020 15th in our power rankings. We were pretty high on them all along and some of the some of the roster strength numbers some of the talent numbers look really good uh, you know they, they rank in the top 25 in the country and overall roster strength top 15 defensively and and that is going to take a maybe you know one or two spots back because unfortunately just before we started recording today we got confirmation that uh all-american caliber linebackers on uh to pull a float uh, Fatui, I'm doing it too. I apologize, uh, but I mean, play uh, a guy that that was uh, uh, on my first ballot All America team, uh, just based on the the four games he had. Incredible, incredible production. Somebody that you know looked like a, a preseason All American. Unfortunately, suffered an Achilles injury in spring practice. Going to be out at least six months, maybe as many as ten months. So, uh, unfortunately, you know that that is one of three. Uh, all Pac-12 caliber linebackers who, who won't be back this year, but still defensively going to be a, a really, really talented unit despite those you know guys leaving, a, a, as you mentioned. So uh, I, 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 I'm really, really intrigued with Washington. There are some spots where, you know, there's not elite talent as far as our position strength goes because we do take our you know the talent numbers weight by experience and career production you know the quarterback position they rank 32nd yeah we saw dylan morris in four games nothing really special probably going to be fine but they bring in uh, a well-traveled transfer in patrick o'brien they also signed uh sam heward you know a, a legacy there at washington a guy who's really really highly rated uh, coming out of high school, well, those three guys, the the average 247 rating of those three guys is the fourth best in the country. And so as far as just pure talent goes, they've got it at the quarterback position. You know, even though they're only 32nd in our experience and, and production weighted position rankings at quarterback, they're a top five unit just in, in pure talent. So that makes me think, okay, this is a team that can – grow you know even though they're going to be coming in as a, a top 15 team in our power rankings there's room for improvement at the quarterback position because if it's Dylan Morris because if it's Sam Heward you know they put up 
four or five production points uh, early in the season. Now we're talking about a guy who's got a 90 rating instead of an 85 rating. And, and so that's going to uh, push that power ranking, power rating number even higher. But on the, on the flip side, you know, I, I do have some concerns a little bit at, at skill position. They lost who I think was their most uh, talented receiver in Puka Nakua, transferred to BYU. They also lost Ty Jones, who was a starter uh, to the transfer portal. They're bringing in a couple of transfers, including a, a really, really fast, uh, you know, dynamic return man, Giles Jackson from Michigan. Hopefully he has a, a little bit of a higher ceiling as a receiver. You know, put him in. Jalen Polk uh, was productive at, at Texas Tech. Kate Otten, really productive tight end, one of the better tight ends in, in college football. All five uh, guys on the uh, offensive line had over 250 snaps, you know, starters all back on the offensive line last year. So there are things to like. There are not necessarily any glaring weaknesses, even if they lost some talent up front defensively, even if they lost some talent on the back end defensively. You know, I, I think the defense as a whole, our, our uh, talent numbers I think it's the 16th you know, most talented defense in the country, including a top 10 back seven. So I think Washington is a sneaky playoff contender. I, I think that they are a, you know, a Pac-12 co-favorite probably with, with Oregon. And our numbers, our early 2021 numbers actually like Washington just a hair better than Oregon. We do have them favored by uh, a field goal roughly uh, against Oregon that game in November. And Depending on the you know the quarterback position, if if they take a step forward there, that number has the potential to grow. So we have Washington right now favored in all twelve regular season games. I think that the schedule sets up pretty nicely. They do play Oregon at home. They do play Arizona State at home. They don't have to play USC in the regular season. They're a team that I also struggle to to trust a little bit because they do lose some games that they probably shouldn't like that Stanford game, and, and they've had others in the past. But I, I, I think there's a lot to like about this Washington team, and, and our numbers just absolutely love them. So don't be shocked if they're a top-10 preseason team when our final power rankings come out. Don't be shocked if they're uh, you know the Pac-12 North favorite, according to our numbers, or, or maybe even the Pac-12 favorite. So Part of me is hesitant about that. I, you know, we had some similar numbers to when, when we we're talking about Stanford two years ago. So this could be that sort of situation where maybe we're just putting a little too much on pure talent and not enough on on-field, you know, uh, production. Show it to me. Uh, but Washington, I think, is is going to be in the mix. They're going to be a dangerous team, and and certainly they're a team that our numbers love. What do you think about Washington, Xavier? I mean, uh, th this team, like Nick said, seems pretty favorable. Are you on board? Yeah, if they if the quarterback position turns around. I, I just, you know, Nick said it at the beginning, you know, this is a team that we didn't get to see too much from. And that includes Dylan Morris. But I'm still that, – that's a huge question mark for me, that quarterback position. I'm just not sure, you know, even with Patrick O'Brien coming in, you know, one, who's going to win the job? Because we we nobody's been announced as of right now, uh, but if it is Dylan Morris, I need to see a jump for them to be considered a team that can run you know the Pac-12. Now I do believe that they are the second best team in the Pac-12. Don't get me wrong, I, I think that um, 
Oregon is my favorite on that side of on that side of the conference, but I do think they can absolutely compete with Oregon, uh, especially with having them at home. Uh, but that quarterback position for me might be a revolving door all year, and that concerns me, especially with the amount of talent that they do have on this team. If they had a solidified quarterback, I would be all in on Washington to run uh, to run the table in the Pac-12. I, I'd be 100% honest with you. Um, this is a team that you know doesn't get as much credit for, but probably should. When it comes to cornerbacks, Washington puts them out and brings them in like it's going out of style. You know, they don't they they don't have many down years in their secondary. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, when you know, and especially now with them having, you know, two uh really good linebackers solidified there, you know, with the way that they run their defense being it, it being, excuse me, a a, a four, two, five slash three, three, five that they go back and forth. The secondary is the most important part of the team for the most part. Uh, but it's still something that I'm, you know, I, I'm I can easily say that I'm confident in on that side of the ball. I said it earlier um, with uh, with a couple of teams. I'm concerned about quarterback, and, you know, that's Washington's main question mark for me. It just so happens to also be the most important position on the field, especially offensively, and, and I'm not ready to say that this team is going to be able to run the table. I will say this, Nick. The game for me, and I know you talked about the Oregon game, that, you know, that might be the biggest game of the season for me. The barometer game for me, and I, you know, I love looking for those barometer matchups. Is that game at Michigan? Uh, I think that that's a, a a big test and a huge test, not only because they have an opportunity to to beat you know a, a, a big name team, but it's also on the road. And and I think that with as many important games that they had at home this year, including the rivalry game against Washington State. To have that road victory underneath their belt is the confidence that I think that they'll need to run the table in the Pac-12. Um, you know, that's a game for me that, once again, Michigan's going to be looking to get back on track, to get back on the uh, on the right side of the win column. And for me, you know, they're going to want to make a statement against a Washington team that's going to come into the year ranked in the top 15. And with that being the second game of the year for them, it's a big game for Washington. It's a barometer game for me. I think this is a team that goes nine and three. I think you're absolutely right, Nick. I think they pick up a weird loss in here. I'm circling that game against UCLA um, as the one that I think that they end up uh, blowing, perhaps. Uh, and so I think this is a nine and three ball club. I feel if Dylan Morris was a you know a, a junior or if Patrick O'Brien comes in and shows me that he's a bona fide stud, I'll be a little bit more confident to say that this is a team that can run the table. But until then, I'm confident saying nine and three, ten and two. Uh, Oregon is the next team up here, Nick, four and three last year. They lost to Iowa State in the Fiesta Bowl, 34 to 17. Sixth ranked recruiting class. Oregon always brings mm -hmm. in a good class. First in the Pac-12. 11 transfers out. They didn't transfer anyone in. They return a ton uh, of uh, talent here. Uh, or they, they have a lot of talent going to the NFL, and they return some decent talent, too. Center Alex Forsyth. Uh, Ed Rusher, Kayvon Thibodeau, one of the best players of college football, and cornerback slash kick return Michael Wright were all Pac-12. All this talent going to the NFL. Penny Sewell, left tackle, safeties, Javon Holland, Brady Breeze, cornerback Thomas Graham, interior defensive lineman Jordan Scott, cornerback Demondre Lenore, interior defensive lineman Austin Fayolu, and center Nick Pickett all off to the NFL. They bring in a new uh, defensive coordinator from Cal, Tim DeRuiter. So what do you think about Oregon going into 2021, Nick? So Oregon is, is uh, definitely a team similar to Washington that I'm going to be very interested in. They're going to be really close. 
they're they're really close in our final uh, power rankings, and they're probably going to be pretty close in our our preseason power rankings as well. They have a similar situation at quarterback to me than Washington. Uh, Xavier, you mentioned if, if Patrick O'Brien comes in and, and you know b- takes that job, and I, I could see a scenario maybe where that's the case. I mean, he was a really highly rated guy coming out of high school when he signed with Nebraska. But I think the you know uh, fringe five star quarterback. Sam Heward is is maybe the one to watch where, you know, sometimes it's rare, but sometimes a, a true freshman uh, just comes in and, and kind of uh, really uh, takes a program to a new level. Could Washington have that kind of guy at quarterback? Could Oregon have that kind of guy at quarterback? Because Ty Thompson is somebody that is, you know, coming in with similar ratings coming out of high school, right on that five-star, uh, you know, uh, level between between four and five stars and somebody who's expected to compete for that starting job and and uh you know we we know that uh tyler shook ended up transferring it looked like maybe he had lost his grip on that starting job to anthony brown in the bowl game and and i do think that brown showed enough showed that he was healthy first of all but two you know showed enough to to think okay he can uh, perform in a Joe Moorhead offense. He can perform with a really talented supporting cast, but maybe Ty Thompson is that difference maker. And, and, you know, maybe he doesn't win the job coming out of fall camp, similar to Heward right now. It sounds like Heward is getting reps with the twos while O'Brien and, and uh, Morris are getting the, the ones reps. It, you know, it, it sounds like uh, basically Anthony Brown's getting all the reps with the ones in, in spring, but, you know, it wouldn't shock me if, in either case, that that superstar true freshman emerges. I don't think we can rely on it, or, or you know, it's certainly far far from a guarantee. But I think maybe if if either of these teams reaches their full potential, it might be with that just uber talented quarterback taking the reins and and kind of taking everything to another level. Scott, you mentioned a lot of guys that that Oregon is is losing, and it's certainly, you know, people who we're going to hear their names called really soon in, in the NFL draft. But it's also, I mean, somewhat similar to, to Penn State, of course, when when uh, not having uh, Micah Parsons, a lot of these guys they've already you know learned to live without. Uh, you know, Graham, Holland, and Breeze were all opt outs, did not play, as was Sewell. So Oregon in Sorry, we, we've got a, a storm uh, going and it looked like just some uh, lightning very close to me threw me off a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, careful out there, Nick. I think I even heard you know? a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you might have seen it. But uh, but anyway, so uh, Oregon has learned to live without some of these guys and, and certainly there were some some players who were big time performers for them last year. Lenore Pickett were, were kind of holding down the, the secondary a little bit. I think certainly two guys that that don't get maybe enough credit as they deserve: interior defensive lineman Austin Faolu and Jordan Scott. Uh, Scott specifically started forty two games at Oregon, and, and you know, a three hundred twenty five pound guy in, in the middle of that defensive line does a lot of dirty work that, you know, they're, they're going to miss a little bit because they don't have somebody 
uh, or, or, you know, they, they do have some bigger guys, but, but they certainly don't have somebody who's played that role uh, like Scott did for so long. So a little bit worried about the interior defensive line. They'll probably figure it out. And, and Kayvon Thibodeau might be the best player in college football in 2021. So, I, you know, they're going to be dangerous. The linebacker core is among the best in the country. They rank fifth in our preseason uh, strength ratings at, at, at that position. And, and it wouldn't at all surprise me if they end up with three guys who are 100 rated uh, max rated players by the end of the, the regular season. You mentioned the just sheer talent coming in. They've had three straight top 10 classes. The most recent class ranked sixth in our recruiting strength numbers. So, you know, uh, we, we talk about how we adjust for experience and production, Oregon is is getting a little bit uh, knocked because they're going to be relying on on some young guys. They're going to be relying on some unproven guys at some important spots. But the the pure talent is there. You know they they are very very talented in the secondary. They're they're back seven ranks seventh in the country in average two four seven rating. They're very very talented at the wide receiver and, and tight end uh, position. They actually have the third uh, rated average rating, excuse me, third ranked average 247 rating, the number one average rivals uh, recruiting rating among wide receiver and, and tight ends. Now, you know, who's going to step up and be that number one guy? I don't know. You know, Jalen Red has experience. Micah Pittman has shown some flashes. Johnny Johnson has been productive. I think Devin Williams might be the most talented guy, but, you know, I don't know if, if they have a true number one or, or really a go-to guy, but they've got plenty of options. At running back, C.J. Verdell, I think, is, is really, really good. He was banged up a good bit last year, so we got to see Travis Dye take on a, a bigger role, and he's somebody who can hurt you as a receiver as well as a runner. So I, I think I think this Oregon team is, is really, really good, and, and though Sewell is gone – you know, having being able to, to live without him last year, every returning offensive lineman uh, was on the field for 350 snaps or more. And, and they actually have a sixth guy who got almost 300 snaps. So their experience there, you know, as, as long as they can kind of figure out the, the defensive line outside of Thibodeau, and it sounds like he's going to be uh, maybe even playing a little more, you know, stand up linebacker at, at times next year. So that, that, positionally is, is really the only unit I'm concerned about. Uh, I think the talent everywhere else is, is going to make this team very, very dangerous. They do rank a little lower than USC and Washington in our, our early numbers, but I think that that it's very possible Oregon is a team that we're a little too low on right now. It looks like they're actually going to be outside our top 15 in our, our preseason numbers. Uh I think that, you know, with a with a strong start to the regular season, assuming they go, you know, four and one before the bye game with with Ohio State being the only, uh, you know, likely loss. Some of those younger guys are, are going to pick up some production points and, and that's going to grow, you know, Oregon potentially into a top 10 type team. So maybe by the end of the season, they get past Washington you know, maybe maybe they're in a position again to knock off USC and, and win the Pac-12. Wouldn't shock me at all. I do think that the way our numbers look at Oregon, they are a team that can grow. They are a team that is is not going to be anywhere near its max 
you know, full potential at the beginning of the season. So that is, I think, a good sign. They are a team that I think could play their way into a, a uh, conference title and, and into a potential playoff spot. But, you know, right now, our numbers are a little more skeptical on Oregon, just comparing the, the experience portion and, and the production portion coming back. But from a talent standpoint, and really from a, a schedule standpoint, it sets up pretty well, I think. Uh, so a lot of winnable games. There's no no team on the schedule, even Ohio State, because Ohio State is going to be very young. There's no game on the schedule that Oregon can't win. I'm just not sure that they will win them all or, or even, you know, all but one that, that keeps them in that, that playoff mix. But Oregon is, is absolutely uh, going to be in the mix in, in the Pac-12 title race again. Xavier, what do you think about Oregon? Like uh, Nick said, lot, a lot of returning talent. Even the one uh, you know, position group that he said may have a little questions has probably the best player in the nation on it in Thibodeau. Uh, what do you think about Oregon going into 2021? Yeah, I think this is one of the first four teams out of the college football playoff this year. Uh, I think Nick's right. Uh, when it comes to their schedule, I think they lose that game at Ohio State. Uh, but other than that, I think they really do run the table here. Uh, I think they benefited maybe more than any other team in the country last year with COVID, with how many of their 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 NFL talent ended up sitting out last year. Uh, I think they benefit from that heavily. Uh, we talked about it, Sewell, Holland, the list continues. I think they had, what, five, four, five, or six guys who decided to opt out last year um, in very important positions. And when you do that, you know, yes, you know, last year for a lot of Oregon fans, that probably made them very angry because they probably felt with those guys, they could have run the table and possibly been a playoff contender that past year. But it allowed a lot of younger guys to get those reps necessary. Uh, you know, when you look at the secondary, it's going to be it's gonna be led by juniors who got necessary reps in last Last year, uh, uh, playing in 2020, that they may not have gotten if guys had decided to play uh, instead of sitting out with co- uh, for COVID. Excuse me, you, you, Scott, you hit around the head. Kayvon Thibodeau, I think, might be the first defensive player taken on the board. He might want to be either number one or number two taken off, off the board in the NFL draft this upcoming season. I think he's that good and, and that talented. And when you have a guy that talented, we've seen it with uh, the likes of Chase Young. The guys around him will eat just because you have to devote so much time and effort to him. If you're going to slow him down, you're going to have to devote to every single time. And that's going to allow other guys who may not be as talented as maybe it looks like on paper. But when, you know, it's man on man because, you know, the, the left guard and the left tackle both have to take Kayvon Thibodeau, more guys are going to win because of that. Uh, so I, I really think that the defense isn't going to be much of a concern for me. Offensively, I am a little bit concerned about the quarterback position. I think Anthony Brown is very limited in his ability as a quarterback. Um, I think he's one heck of an athlete, uh, but his ability in the quarterback position is a little bit too limited for me. Uh, I like Tyler Shuck. I thought he left. Uh, I think I thought him leaving was a little premature. I think he, he you know, there was a little bit of the blood in the water, but it wasn't completely over yet at the quarterback position there. Uh, so I would have loved for him to stay. I think that I would have been more confident with the quarterback position if he had stayed and maybe Anthony Brown had left or something like that. Uh, but I think they'll figure that out. I think CJ Verdell is arguably one of the top two, maybe three running backs in the Pac-12 uh, as of right now, if not one. I, I'm really excited to see what he can do when he gets the bulk of the carries, him and Travis die in this next year. I think they're one of the um, one of the best tandems that we have in college football going into next year. So I'm really excited for that as well. And I'm not so concerned with them on the outside. Johnny Johnson has been one of – has been a consistent, uh, you know, form of uh, – 
I want to say production over his time at Oregon. You know, he may not be explosive. He doesn't necessarily take the top off the defense all the time, but he on third down, you look his way. He's always there. He makes the good, he makes the big catches. He makes the catches that he's supposed to make. Um, and so I'm really excited to see what he does is probably your one or two this year. He might be the one just simply based off of his, uh, of his seniority and his production since he's been at Oregon. Uh, so I like this Oregon team. I think this is a team that goes 11 and one, 10 at two at the worst. And that's if they pull what they typically have been doing over the last three years, where they lose to a team that's not even on their radar. And they are either overlooking to a team, uh, to a game that's, you know, on the horizon, or they just don't wake up for the game that, you know, they're, they're playing. We saw it a couple of years ago with Arizona state. Uh, we saw it last year as well. So we just talked about Arizona state. They're, they're, they're definitely in the Oregon radar. No, no, that they weren't when they lost to them okay. a couple of years All ago. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay, Jaylen, I'll give you that. Daniel's okay. freshman year. Yeah. They were not. No, no. Uh, but you know, and, and so for me, that's where the only concern is for Oregon, kind of like they did last year with losing at, at Oregon state. Will they slip up? because they just tend to have the propensity to do that. If they don't, I think this is an 11-1 team, and it's one of the first four teams out of the playoff this year. I think they're on the outside looking in at that 6-7 uh, or even 8 range uh, come the end of the year. All right, USC, we're sticking with the Pac-12 here, Nick. 5-1 uh, and one last season, they opted out of bowl contention. Eighth-ranked recruiting class, second in the Pac-12 behind Oregon. Five transfers out, five transfers in, including a couple former four stars in Texas running back Keontae Ingram, Colorado wide receiver Katie Nixon, Alabama defensive tackle Ishmael Softser, and Texas safety Xavier Alford. Uh, quarterback Keaton Slovis, wide receiver Drake London, and cornerback Chris Steele were all Pac-12 last year, but this is another Pac-12 team that loses a ton to the draft. Another high recruiting class, but they lose interior offensive lineman Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, Marlon uh, Tuio uh, Pulotu, uh, Jay Tufeli, wide receiver Amonra St. Brown, wide receiver Tyler Vaughn, safety uh, Talona Hufanga, and cornerback Elijah Griffin, all to the NFL. So uh, a lot of losses. They bring in another good coaching staff and return, or another good recruiting class and return um, some decent starters here, Nick. So what do you think about USC for 2021? Yeah, our, our sort of mini Pac-12 review preview rolls on with uh, with USC. They were, again, a, a team that our numbers were very high on coming into uh, 2020, like a lot of folks. And, you know, they they did a decent job of, of living up to that until the very end. The upset against Oregon was, was a little bit disappointing. But, you know, it, it finally seemed to me – I mean, they were very fortunate to, to, you know, win that that first game against Arizona State. But it, it seemed to me that USC started to live up to its potential, at least compared to years past where, you know, Clay Hilton's always on the hot seat, it seems always, you know, the, the talent on hand doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, they don't necessarily put up the, the team performance ratings or, or, you know, our eyes, what they tell us on the field doesn't quite live up to uh, the talent numbers that are on hand. So it's, it's often USC, of course, is a, a you know, disappointing team or, or can be, but it seemed like they were moving in the right direction until that final upset and, and then didn't get to see them in the bowl game. So, you know, who knows uh, if we would have felt that way after a bowl. But there were some concerns with Keaton Slovis after such a, you know, uh, really, really excellent true freshman season, unexpected year as a starter. 
in 2019. Didn't look as comfortable last year a lot of times. But, you know, I haven't done a, a deep, deep dive on Slova since the end of the season. I want to go back and, and pay a little closer attention and, and watch him a little more closely. But just looking at, you know, the PFF numbers, he graded out almost exactly the same as a passer and, and then as just overall grade slightly better in, in 2020. So need to go back and, and kind of uh, look sort of throw by throw and, and see if, if, you know, my own uh, estimation lines up with that a little bit, but I, you know, he's going to be an asset. He, he is one of the higher rated quarterbacks in the country, according to our numbers as a starter, he's, you know, top 10, uh, as far as an individual player rating goes, as a, a quarterback room, if something were to happen to Slovis, they brought in two really, really uh, talented true freshmen. I think they're going to be able to, to find one who could play similar to what Slovis did if, if they had to. It's a top 10 room in the country. And then have a ton of weapons to work with. At the running back position, they added, as you mentioned, Keontae Ingram to what was already a really, really talented group with, you know, Stephen Carr, uh, Vave Malpe, uh, you know, Keenan Christian is, it looked like one of the faster players in the Pac-12 and in, in the little bits and pieces we've gotten to see from him the last couple of years. And then, yeah, they lose two, you know, draftable wide receivers, but Drake London is one of my favorite receivers in college football. Brew McCoy was a five-star guy who looks to be finally healthy. Uh, Gary Bryant Jr. has a ton of potential, was was rated uh, right up there, almost five-star level. Kyle Ford also still hadn't been able to, to stay healthy, but close to a five-star rating. And then they just went out and got other guys to, to just boost that unit as much as they could. Brought in Katie Nixon, a former starter at Colorado. Brought in Taj Washington, uh, who was one of my favorite group of five wide receivers in 2019 at Memphis, you know, so, so they're six deep, uh, not even really taking into account uh, a pretty talented trio that they were able to bring in and in, in that highly rated recruiting class. So I think, you know, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, that's about as good of a, a group of those three positions as any team in the country. I mean, we're talking on level, on par with the Ohio States, with, with uh, you know, uh, Alabama even, you know, compared to, to sort of what they lost. Uh, USC is, is in that mix in a lot of our, you know, player rating uh, and unit rating uh, rankings with the best of the best offensively. The offensive line is coming back mostly intact. Four guys uh, started over three, you know, had 350 snaps or more last year. Uh, it ranked 40th in our performance rankings. Still some room for improvement there. Defensively, you know, they, they were solid but not spectacular outside of the top 25 and in, in the three advanced numbers that, that we look at closely the best of which EPA per play defensively, they were 26. They were outside the top 50 in success rate, outside the top 50 in yards per play allowed, and then right around 40 in points per drive and, and yards per pass attempt. Those need to get better. I, they do have some, some really, really talented guys like Drake Jackson isn't far off from Kayvon Thibodeau, quite honestly. That same type of skill set just absolutely, you know, gets after the quarterback, does a variety of things, very, very athletic Uh one of the one of the best players in, in college football, Chris Steele at corner, I think is is one of the better corners in the country, a potential, you know, all American candidate type guy. 
but they've had a ton of injuries and, and that seems to be carrying over the defensive line is, you know, got some question marks, uh, some guys they're going to have to rely on, haven't played a ton in that interior defensive line. And, and then I don't know why he hasn't been, uh, I think the only time I've, I've seen him listed uh, and I just haven't done enough diving into it, I guess, but as a draft pick, uh, Talano Hufanga was like a fourth rounder in, in a mock I saw. He's He might've been my favorite player in college football last year. I mean, the guy's just all over the field, always, you know, uh, making plays, always uh, ends up, you know, in the pile right there with the ball, you know, picking off passes, running, uh, just always, always around the football. And so they're going to miss him, I think, most, even though it sounds like other guys are, are going to be drafted ahead of him. But if if they can, you know, figure out who's going to step in and, and uh, maybe fill his role, and, and I'm not sure if somebody, I'm not sure somebody will be able to, but if they can, you know, figure that out, dodge some injuries, which which they've had some trouble doing the last couple of years. On paper, and and like we've said, each of the last three years or however long it's been, this should be the best team in the Pac-12. Last year, for a large chunk of the season, they looked like it until the very end. And and I do have some faith that they can carry that over and and be, you know, the Pac-12 championship team, be a legitimate playoff contender. On Twitter the other day, somebody asked who's the you know first or, or who has the best shot to be a first-time college football playoff participant. USC was the first that, that came to my mind because we do have them as a favorite in all 12 regular season games. They are looking like the, the number one team in our Pac-12 preseason power rankings. You know, they haven't lived up anywhere close to those sort of expectations before, but I, I could certainly see a scenario where it happens. I don't necessarily trust them fully to get there, but, you know, I do think that USC has that potential and I'm really, really excited about the offensive unit as a whole. I'm excited about a, a few defensive players, but I'm, I'm a little more worried about that as a unit. So they're going to have to figure you know that out, take a little bit of a step and, and they're going to have to replace some key pieces to do it. So I don't necessarily know that they will, but offensively, I think this is one of the best teams in college football. And, and I do think that they are going to be a legitimate conference title contender and, and maybe somebody you should think about as a, uh, you know, not necessarily your first pick as a, a playoff team, but somebody who, who could get there if, if they get a couple of breaks that they haven't gotten recently. Uh, what do you think Xavier? I mean, uh, USC always a good school, like Nick mentioned. Uh, do you think that they have a possibility to sneak into the playoff here potentially? Ah. <laughs> I want to say yes, I really do. I think this is a team that has the ability to do so, especially from an offensive side of the ball. I think this is a team that can be is going to be up there as one of the most explosive offenses in college football. Uh, at least top five offense is what I'm expecting from them. I'm expecting Keenan Slovis to to continue on what he was starting last year. And Nick, I know what you asked. You kind of asked the questions why the Keenan Slovis kind of he had almost the identical PFF rating that he had in his freshman year. Those numbers are a little skewed. Uh, you know, when you have two five touchdown games back to back to end the year before your uh, before the Pac-12 championship game, it kind of helps your numbers out. I mean, if you take away the UCLA and the Washington State game, uh, his numbers are pretty abysmal 
against some uh, so, some rather some better defenses uh, in the Pac-12 last year. Uh, you know, uh, so I, I think his numbers are a little skewed in that regard. Uh, I still am expecting him to be one of the better quarterbacks in college football because uh, I do think that he's going to come out this year in the NFL draft. So I think this is an audition for him. So I think this is what he's planning. He's planning on having a, a better year. Uh, in my opinion, I am concerned with that defensive front. If they can't get pressure with only rushing four, I'm I'm concerned on what they'll do on the bigger stage. Uh, but we don't have to get to that just yet because I do think that they'll run through the Pac-12 uh, pretty seamlessly. I, I'm I'm expecting an Oregon uh, USC Pac-12 if that's possible. I can't remember. My head is just gone right now. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm expecting yeah, to see USC those in the South, Oregon in the North, or just, Washington. Just, just, just making sure. I mean, yeah, just making sure. Uh, I'm expecting those two teams to be in the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, hopefully they give us a better one than what they did in this previous year. And outside of the Notre Dame game, and really it's just because it's at Notre Dame and you never know what happens up there, I think that they'll win every other game. Um, I will say there is another game on here that I kind of am circling a little bit, uh, and it is the UCLA game. I feel like UCLA is always going to give them their biggest punch. And if USC comes into the game kind of what they did last year, with allowing uh, UCLA to get out to, I think it was almost almost a thirty point lead at one point. I don't know if they have the horses to get back in the game as it like they did last year with Amon Ross, a Brown, and Tyler Vaughn, and the receivers that they do have coming back this year, like a Drake London as well. So I, uh, you know, that they can't have games like that for me uh, if they're going to be a team that makes it to the playoff. Uh, but otherwise, like I said, outside of the Notre Dame game and outside of a game where they're sleeping on their team on the team that they're playing, this is a team that I wholeheartedly expect to go 11 and one, maybe 12 and, you know, maybe 12 and no. Uh, I think this USC team, we're finally seeing USC's talent turn into wins. It's good. It's finally happening because when USC is good, college football, in my opinion, is just more fun. Uh, so I think USC is 11 and one, 12 and a ball club. And we get to uh, the, one of the favorite teams of the podcast in, in a couple of seconds. Finally, we're here. Uh, I mean, you know, this previous year has been long, out. but it's good. It's good to finally get here. Uh, Texas is the next team up. I'm excited about this one. Uh, seven and three last year, my Longhorns. They beat Colorado 55 to 23 in the Alamo Bowl. 16th ranked recruiting class, second in the Big 12. 12 tenth transfers out, three transfers in, including uh, former four star LSU outside linebacker Ray Thornton. Uh, they return only one all big 12 player, but it was Dicker, the kicker, one of our favorites, Cameron Dicker. Uh, but they do lose a lot of talent to the NFL uh, quarterback, Sam Ellinger, left tackle, Sam Cosme, Joseph Osai, the edge rusher, the safety, Caden Stearns, defensive tackle, Taquan Brown, safety, Chris Brown and wide receiver, Brennan Eagles all could hear their names uh, being called in the NFL draft in the next week and a half here. Uh, and obviously a whole new coaching staff too. Steve Sarkeesian comes over from Alabama. Kyle Flood is a new offensive coordinator with Pete Kwiatkowski, the new DC. So new coaching staff, uh, new quarterback, Nick, not a ton of returning uh, experience outside of Bijan Robinson, who is probably a legit Heisman contender uh, for this team. But what do we think about Texas going into 2021, Nick? So Texas is, is a team that I don't have a very good, read on. I, I agree with you that B. John Robinson absolutely could be a, a Heisman contender. I do have a few shares of, of Robinson Heisman futures, uh, but a lot of that is projection. I mean, he, he was not a full-time starter. He 
uh, didn't really get the ball enough in, in the first half of the season. But when he did later in the year was absolutely one of the most exciting players in college football. And there is a, a lot of reason to expect that Steve Sarkeesian as a play caller will do a better job of getting him the football and, and being creative with the ways that he gets into the football than the previous coaching staff did. And, and that's where a lot of my personal, uh, you know, I guess optimism about Texas is, uh, you know, Sark had two of the three best offenses in college football history the last two years at Alabama. Uh, last year's Alabama offense by a lot of metrics was slightly better than 2019 LSU. 2019 Alabama was just just a hair below that 29 LSU team. So, I mean, we're talking, you know, as good as it gets in the history of the game, scheming things up. And and so will Sark be able to, to carry that sort of uh, playmaking or, or, you know, play calling to Texas in year one as a head coach where he's got a lot more on his plate uh, day to day and, and, you know, in the lead up to a game and, and on the sidelines. Uh, I have some questions about that. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't have as much of a, uh, you know, uh, well-oiled machine or, or a, a experienced uh, group of players to lean on, you know, Mac Jones, was a first time starter, but he was somebody who was in the offense the previous year. He was somebody who uh, had competed week in and week out against uh, one of the more talented defenses in the country, you know, and, and, and so was sort of poised to step up and, and be the guy, become a Heisman uh, contender last year. You know, can he get Casey Thompson up to that level right away? Is Hudson, Cor- you know, Card, uh, who's challenging for that job? You know, whoever wins it, are they going to be able to, to is Sark going to be able to uh, get a Mac Jones type performance out, you know, in year one? I, I, I don't think it's super likely. The receiver position, they've got four or five guys who could end up being the number one receiver. Joshua Moore had an excellent year last year. Jake Smith has shown some potential. Jordan Whittington is that you know, skill set that I fall in love with, you know, I think he could be the guy that, that uh, similar to Robinson Sark does a, a great job of, of scheming up and finding ways to get him the football. Troy Amir, I know a lot of people are excited about and, and he's healthy, uh, hopefully fully healthy coming in. But, you know, I, I think because of, of Sarkeesian's experience most recently as a play caller, I think we can project Texas to take a step forward offensively, even with losing, uh, you know, a, a four-year starter in Sam Ellinger. And this was a team that that ranked decently in a lot of the numbers that we look at. I mean, they, they were 25th overall in our offensive uh, team performance numbers. They were 21st overall in, in our total team performance numbers. But, you know, 17th in points per drive, 21st yards per play, top 40 in yards per pass attempt and EPA per play, but success rate. They were not the most uh, efficient team. They ranked 66th in success rate, according to, to CFB graphs, uh, who also filters for garbage time and against, FB, uh, against FBS opponents only. But, you know, I, I, I do think that the potential is there for this to be an offense that that shows some improvement, even with some question marks at particular positions. I do have some concerns 
defensively. And, you know, this is a team that uh, had some question marks. They ranked 58th in yards per play, defensively 70th in success rate against, uh, 40th EPA per play defensively, 49th in, in points per drive allowed. So no particular uh, area where they were even a, a, you know, top 40 type defense, uh, but certainly not quite to, to the top 25 level. And then some of their more important losses you know, personnel-wise, were on the defensive side of the football. Joseph Osai was a, you know, consensus All-American pass rusher, and and so they're really going to miss him. Caden Stearns and Chris Brown, even though the secondary had, you know, has had some issues, those guys were, you know, over 20-game starters, and and uh, you're going to miss Taquan Graham in the middle of that defensive line. So, you know, I, I do really like – DeMarvion Overshone, who, who has been a little bit banged up, but a very, very athletic linebacker, former safety guy who was, you know, aside from Osai, probably their most productive player defensively last year. But, you know, the unit, though though they have, of course, recruited really, really well historically prior to this year, had three straight top 10 uh, recruiting classes. I, I've got some questions as to whether or not they're going to be able to uh, put together a, a defense that makes a – big step forward. So I think, you know, personnel wise on offense is a little bit of an issue, but I think they're going to get it figured out to, because of, of the the coaching that they've got in place there defensively. And I will say that, that uh, Pete Kwiatkowski is a top five defensive coordinator, uh, according to our numbers. I mean, a lot of those Washington numbers we were referring to, uh, he had a big role in that though. He wasn't always the the play caller there when Jimmy Lake took over a few years ago, uh, his units at Washington were among the best in the country year in and year out to the point where he's ranked fourth right now in our defensive coordinator rankings. So, you know, I guess that gives me, uh, should give me a, 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 a similar reason for optimism like I am offensively, but I just think personnel wise, I, I, I am a little bit more, concerned than I am on the offensive side of the ball. So Texas is a team that, you know, uh, going back to, to how we compare to SP plus and, and uh, FPI and, and beta rank, we're lower on Texas than just about everybody else. They're, they're 11th in that sort of blended average between the four of us. We have Texas uh, barely hanging on the top 25 in our preseason 2021 ratings. They're 23rd right now. So there, there are some concerns. This is not on paper, at least the way that our numbers look at it, the most talented Texas team. They've taken a step back as far as roster strength numbers go. Uh, last year, you know, at, at the end of the season, Texas ranked uh, sixth at, at quarterback with Sam, Sam Allinger. They ranked 13th on offense as a whole, as far as our talent numbers go. 23rd defensively, and 12th overall. Well, right now they rank 19th overall, 21st offensively, and, and 23rd defensively. And that's not bad by any stretch. I mean, top 25 across the board, but we're used to Texas from a pure talent standpoint being top 15, borderline top 10. And so for those numbers to be toward the back half, uh, almost, almost outside of the top 25, you know, and, and we're talking about a program that unfortunately hasn't always uh, been able to reach its talent numbers. You know, its team performance hasn't quite gone up to its, its uh, roster strength numbers. I'm a little bit concerned. I mean, it's year one in a new coaching staff. Sometimes there's a little bit of a, a bumpy start. So I've, I've got some concerns about Texas. I think absolutely things could 
click. This offense could just get out of the gate hot, you know, by, by week six, maybe Casey Thompson is a, a 95 rated quarterback. Cause he's just put up, you know, 300 yard passing games and uh, conference player of the week and all that. Maybe Bijan Robinson, it's not going to be long anyway, before he's a max 100 rated player, maybe, you know, some playmakers step up at, at receiver. And we're talking about, uh, you know, a unit that right now, ranks 12th, which is very, very good. Maybe they're a top five unit by the end of the season. It's it's certainly possible. This is a team that that can grow, somewhat similar to what I was saying about Oregon. But I, I just have more questions on the front end than I do with an Oregon, than even a, a Washington or, or a USC, or in some cases, North Carolina, who we already mentioned our, our numbers don't like a whole lot. So I think Texas long-term, there's a lot of reason to like the, the Sarkeesian hire. I think the playmakers on both sides of the ball are among the best in college football. But in year one, I, I, I'm a little bit concerned that it, it it won't necessarily get worse before it gets better, but it won't necessarily get a lot better in year one, if that makes sense. I, and, and I agree with you. I think that's a more than fair assessment of the Longhorns. You know, you lose so much experience. Uh, especially on the offensive side with Sam Ellinger and Sam Cosme, you know, you're probably your two best players on the team. Uh, and you bring in a new coaching staff. It was kind of, I feel like a little far fetched to expect them to get better this year. Uh, Xavier, what do you think about my Longhorns going into 2021? I think this is a team that's capable of, of winning nine games. And I'll be hundred percent honest with you. I think this is a team that in in a year where you know if Sam had have stayed as a super senior, you know, and if they were able to kind of keep on to some of those, you know, those, those elder statesmen, it would have been I would have been more inclined to absolutely agree that this is a team that could have you know possibly been an eleven and one uh, ball club, maybe just losing to Texas, uh, but with so much youth and not just on the field, but also um, on the sideline, I think this is a team that's going to have some some head scratchers and. You know, it might start the season off. You know, Louisiana coming in is not going to be an easy game for you all, especially not now with, you know, we know what Louisiana can do against the Big 12 programs. We saw them do it to Iowa State last year. And if you guys don't come to play, and if you think that it's, oh, we're Texas, they're Louisiana, it's just going to be a cakewalk, then that's going to be, a, a for me, a really good indication of does Sarkeesian have his kids ready to go? Uh, oftentimes when you guys were under Herman, I kind of just felt like, he was like, "All right, we've got the talent. Let's go play. Let's go play football." And right. there wasn't always a sense of urgency. You felt like just because you were Texas, sometimes I felt like you just were just winning games. It was like we're going to win this game just because we're Texas, rather than having a sense of urgency. So I, I want to see from Sark if he, you know, comes in. You know, if he's taking anything from Saban, it's that every game is the national championship game, even if you're playing Louisiana or at. Arkansas, what you guys do in the first two games. Uh, so that's a big thing for me, especially with so much youth on your team. This is as much as Sark's team as it could possibly be in, in some respects. And I think that he's going to have an opportunity to mold these guys into what he wants his offense to look like. And obviously he's going to have the talent to do it with. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I don't think he'll have the, you know, to follow a trend. I don't think he's going to have the third best offense and, or the fourth best offense in college football history in his first year at Texas, but give it some time. I think that Sark will absolutely have these guys ready to go at least on the offensive end. But Scott, we've talked about it on the podcast multiple times. The offense over the last couple of years hasn't been awful. It's been the defense that has let you guys down in some the respects. tackling. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the coverage in the secondary, they can get to the quarterback, but good Lord, it's mm -hmm. been inconsistent on the back end for sure. 
and, and, and to a degree, you know, I, I'm, I don't know necessarily if you guys are going to take a step in that regard. You guys have heard me say on this podcast before, just because you have veteran leadership, if that, if those veterans are bad, it's just worse. You know, you know, the older garbage gets, it just smells worse. And for me, when you look at a secondary that hasn't been great with all of the talent that has come through it, you know, we had, we talked about the Caleb Stearns and company that have come through that secondary. Once again, you have a senior laden secondary two seniors as your starting corners you're probably gonna have a, a starting a senior as a starting safety and at least a junior at the very least as a starting safety as well that that could either bode really well for you guys and that they try, try to change uh, turn over a new leaf from the previous regime or they're gonna have they're gonna make the same mistakes that they did when they were under the previous regime because it's just that ingrained in them at this point so for me Texas is a 10 and two ball club, nine and three at its very worst uh, because just because of the talent. And I do think that they are number two or number three best team in the big 12 as of right now. Um, like I said, outside of some head scratchers, I think this is a team that we're looking at come November as a team that could possibly get to a new year six. If Oklahoma has decided to, you know, things of that would be after the Oklahoma game. And if Oklahoma has decided to run the table and will possibly be a playoff candidate, which I know, I think Nick already has said he thinks will happen going into next year. Uh, but I do think this is a team that can compete for a new year six bowl. Uh, and in Sarkeesian's first year, I think that's a win. Yeah. Kwiatkowski definitely has his hands full here. So uh, going to be, going to be interesting to watch, but the, the, the further we get into the offseason moving towards the regular season, the more I like Sark from what I've been hearing out of Texas. So I am excited this year. Uh, the last team we have uh, to talk about here is Cincinnati, Nick. Nine and one last year. They did lose in the Beach Bowl to Georgia, 24-21. 42nd in recruiting in the nation, but first in the AAC. Ten transfers out, two transfers in. Um, including former four-star Virginia interior defensive lineman uh, Joan Briggs. They do bring a ton of all ACC talent back from last season. Quarterback Desmond Ritter, wide receiver Michael Young, tight end Josh Weil, defensive ta tackle Marcus Brown, linebacker Darian Beavers, cornerback Kobe Bryant, and cornerback Ahmad Gardner and kick returner Trey Turner were all all ACC last year. They lose a little talent to the NFL. Running back Jared Dokes, safety James Wiggins, offensive tackle James Hudson, and uh, safety Derek Forrest all going to the NFL. They bring in new uh, a new defensive coordinator and Mike Tressel. So what do we think about Cincinnati going into 2021, Nick? I, th I think right now Cincinnati is pretty clearly the favorite to, to get to the New Year's Six Bowl from a, from a group of five conference. Uh, they finished – you know, 11th in our power rankings, obviously, last year, which is really, really high traditionally for a group of five team because recruiting ratings are, are the first thing in our uh, formula. It, it takes a lot of experience and production usually for a group of five team to climb that high because, I mean, you mentioned a, a top 25 class uh, this past year, but, you know, three-year average looks like they're roughly 50th. Uh, in our recruiting strength numbers, they only have, you know, prior to that, uh, one top 60 class in, in our recruiting strength numbers from uh, 2019 back to 2015. So from a, a just, you know, roster construction standpoint of who you're recruiting out of high school, Cincinnati is not anywhere close to the 11th best team in, in college football, but you know, they've, they've won enough. They've, they've, 
have a very experienced quarterback. They've worked, you know, to, to find playmakers at the receiver position. A lot of the guys that they have relied on are transfers at the running back position. I mean, Jared Dokes was, was quite good, but the guy who they're turning to, to be probably their primary ball carrier uh, should get a pretty heavy workload. Jerome Ford, former Alabama running back. So, you know, they've, they've had to get a little bit creative, go out and, and find some transfers at key spots like that. I mean, James Hudson, one of their top uh, NFL draft prospects potentially left tackle was a transfer from Michigan. So, you know, they, they've been creative in how they're going about filling some potential weak spots talent wise on the roster, but also they do a really, really good job of developing those players. And they've had a solid core specifically on defense, but also, you know, the quarterback position with Desmond Ritter, where they've been able to, to build out, uh, you know, enough of, of a, a core group to where this is, one of the premier teams in, in, you know, the group of five and, and uh, they were the best defense in the country. According to our numbers, our defensive team performance rating, they were number one in the country. They ranked second nationally in EPA per play defensively, number four in success rate against number five in both points per drive allowed and yards per pass attempt allowed. And then number six in yards per play allowed. So we're, top 10 across the board, elite, elite numbers statistically. And yeah, last year was weird. They didn't play, uh, you know, they, they, they did not play a power five opponent until the peach bowl, but they gave Georgia absolutely everything they could probably should have won that game. Probably let Georgia a little bit off the hook there uh, toward the end. So Cincinnati is a team that, that I think, can compete with anybody on, on a given week. And, and they're going to have opportunities to do it. Two of the biggest uh, non-conference games, maybe in, in Cincinnati history, at least, you know, since uh, they, they uh, were, you know, since the big East moved, uh, became the American, they've got Indiana and Notre Dame, both on the schedule, both away from home. They do have an off week before they go to South Bend, and they do play an FCS opponent before they go to Indiana. So they should be well-prepared, should be relatively uh, hopefully healthy and, and rested going into those games. And they've got a chance to win either or both of those games. We actually do have them favored in one and underdog in the other, but by less than a field goal in, in both instances. So on theoretically, on paper, they should win one of those two games. If they do, we've got them as heavy favorites the rest of the way. UCF is the only team that is less than a touchdown underdog against Cincinnati. Everybody else is double digits. I mean, the, the next closest early projection we've got, uh, both SMU and Tulane are right around 13-point underdog against Cincinnati. So – the, the amount of experience and production coming back, especially at key spots like quarterback in the secondary on the defensive line and, and then being able to, to sprinkle in some key transfers here and there to maybe fill uh, a potential weak spot. Cincinnati is, is absolutely built to be the best group of five team in, in college football. And you know, it, it looks like based on how dominant BYU was last year and how little respect they got from the playoff committee, it, it seems very, very unlikely unless they're just absolutely blowing people out, including Indiana and, and get that win at Notre Dame. It seems very, very unlikely that they could actually make a playoff run. But 
I, I think that the Cincinnati team is a legitimate top 10 type team in, in 2021. Right now they're 13th in our preseason power rankings. That's higher even than UCF was coming into last year, who I talked about ad nauseum being the highest we've ever had a G5 team. Uh, I think they were 14th in our final preseason rankings right now. Cincinnati, you know, has, has definitely has a chance to, to be higher than that. So there's, there's absolutely every reason to expect Cincinnati to, to win the AAC, to, to have double digit wins, to be in the game and have a chance to beat uh, two power five opponents. And, you know, if they do it impressive enough, we could be talking about a, you know, a top five team at the end of the season uh, once everything, you know, once all the dust settles. So I, I think there's absolutely a lot of excitement around Cincinnati and, and deservedly so because they're, they're a pretty talented team and, and they have certainly, uh, especially on defense played up to uh, you know, that, that, elite level that that you need to be to to be a new year six or maybe even a little better uh type team what do you think about cincinnati going into 2021 xavier uh gonna be another good year for them right i really you know i think they might be a team that and i really wish we, there wasn't so much bias around g5 because i do genuinely think this is a team that could compete and get into the college football playoff if chaos in front of them happens uh but this is a team that i genuinely think will just run the table I, for me Last year's, you know, watching them play Georgia, what for me was kind of a, a wake-up call isn't necessarily what I was trying to say because they were as good as advertised the entire year. But in that game, it was really on the defensive end that, that I saw a team that, you know, really can run the table come this next year. And I don't think we'll, have, we'll struggle in doing so. Typically when you have a, a really good G5 team, we're always talking about offense, offense, you know, uh, you know, the, the you know, the, uh, UCF teams in the past, even, you know, the Boise State teams and, the, and even the Hawaii's, if we go back far enough, we always talked about how great those offenses were. However, with the Cincinnati team, you know, we talked about how just dominant the defense was all season long, and they proved that to us. And the only question last year, and it's really the only question this year, is can the offense just put up enough points in some of those games in which the defense slips? Last year they were able to do it against UCF. Last year they were able to get, do it against Tulsa. Can they do that and, and you know replicate that again this year when they play a team that's going to be able to get through uh, a highly, highly talented defense or in a highly productive defense last year? That's my only concern here. So when I look at their schedule, Maybe a game, you know, the game against Notre Dame for me is, is massive for them because I think this is, you know, barometer matchup as to whether or not they can make the college football playoff. Uh, you know, Notre Dame might not be, you know, a top 10 team like they were a top five team like they were last year. However, at that juncture in the year, with it only being week five, Notre Dame will more than likely be either undefeated or with a one loss and probably ranked, which gives Cincinnati a rank win on their schedule. We all expect UCF to bounce back. So that could be a massive game for them as well. And that one will be at home. That's another game that I think might be a ranked versus ranked matchup. So for them, when I really look at their schedule, I'm like, is there any way that we can get them into the college football playoff with their current schedule? I don't think there is, barring a couple of the AAC teams really having an exceptional year, like a Tulsa, maybe like an SMU, or if you know Indiana is ranked high enough coming into the year and they have not one, not two, but maybe three ranked wins on their schedule. That would be the only thing and the chaos in front of them ensuing for them to get in. Uh, but I think Cincinnati runs the table and their only losses would come out of conference. I think this is an 11 and one 12 and no ball club. Their only loss in my opinion, maybe comes at the hands of Notre Dame. Um, 
if on the road. That would be it for me. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for today's show. On the next show, we are going to be going 10 to 1 all the way up through the uh, the best teams in the country. Nick, are you excited? I'm ready. I, I'm sure it comes across in my voice a little bit, but this this is... This has been tough. I'm glad we t- I'm glad we <laughs> talked about uh, all 130 teams. I, I do want to take every team seriously. I think there are interesting things about each, and I think it's it's valuable to have a solid understanding uh, of you know the the entire the entire run one through one through 130. Uh, but it's it's been tough, and I'm glad it's almost over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, it's been a long series that we're doing here, but we got one more show to go with the most interesting teams in the world next week. So be sure to follow us all on the Twitter machine at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, C-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.